Welcome to this edition of Yacht Business, partly recorded in Jeddah, where one of the preliminary rounds of the America's Cup has just been delivered in style. There's a lot to unpack here, from prejudice pre-event commentary by sections of the Western and social media, to lessons in destination marketing and stakeholder management, and direct comparisons between this event and the GP Dubai event. I'm going to try and cover all of these things, but first, we have a special interview with David Graham, CEO of World Sailing. Okay, so we are here at the uh, preliminary America's Cup event in Jeddah, and I'm with the CEO of World Sailing, David Graham. David, what did you think of the, the week, the days? Well, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. I think, you know, these events are primarily all about the conditions and the, uh, and the racing and uh, they've had spectacular days. I mean, right up until the last race, tight racing. The conditions were uh, were really fantastic. And as you know, Dave, I'm no stranger to the Middle East. And you know, the hospitality in uh, in this part of the world is is second to none. The sun's shining, the wind's blowing, and uh, and everyone's been looked after. So yeah, it's a, a fantastic event. And it must be pleasing for you to see, as, as world sailing, the, the sport of sailing getting an airing and getting people getting behind it from the federation to the, to the local sporting federation. Um, that, that must be great for the sport going forward. Yeah, well, I spent some time with the local federation and, you know, they've got big ambitions and, uh, and, and great, great plans. Yeah, we saw the kids out this uh, this morning, and there was uh, Terry Hutchinson and Bruno Dubois just imparting their knowledge with some of the some of the youngsters. Yeah, I mean things are moving, moving quickly in the region. As you say, you're no stranger to to this region. You you uh, were part of the Amman Sail program. What are some of the challenges of of building a sailing program from scratch in in, a, in an area where it's it's brand new? Well, I think uh, the challenges are connectivity and people you know, understanding the wider ambition, why they're doing it. You know, sport's a great leveller and uh, they've got ideal conditions here, especially on the, I mean, I haven't travelled extensively through Saudi, and uh, but on this coast, the conditions are, are excellent and you've got, you know, I think four million or something in Jeddah uh, and um, a, a very, very young population. So everything's there for, for sailing to be a success. You know, in Oman, we, we worked in getting the sailing onto the national curriculum, especially in the villages, uh, the wilayats, as they call them, uh, that were close to the sea. And, um, and that made, made a big difference. And I think sailing is a sport, as you well know, which is a leveller in the classroom. And uh, it's a great sport because it's a cerebral sport as well as a, an active sport. So I think it's the main challenge is going to be sort of getting alignment and making sure that uh, there's alignment through um, the various ministries and the uh, and the people who um, who want to practice the sport. Which you know I've got no doubt in my mind that uh, it's going to be a success here. What's the thing that's uh, surprised you most about this event over the last couple of days? Well, do you know what I haven't had any surprises when uh, when I knew it was coming. You know I. Uh, I was very confident it'd be uh, it'd be a success story, 
and a success story it's been. I mean, the images have gone all over the world, beautiful backdrop of the, of the city. So, you know, I haven't really got, really got any surprises, but I'm really delighted the way um, they are embracing the youth and embracing the female side of the sport and bringing it to, bringing it to new regions. I mean, it's innovative stuff. And as you know, you know, I mean, you've followed the Cup for many, many years, that the America's Cup's got some magic dust. And, you know, and now the fact that they're sprinkling that magic dust wider with youth, with women, with new regions, it's, uh, it's only good for our sport as a whole. World Sailing has had diversity on the agenda for a while from a from a gender point of view. Is it, how's sailing going from a diversity in terms of um, nations going? Is I guess this is part of building that. Is there anything else that you're working on for that? Yeah, I mean, we've got an extensive Emerging Nations program, which is um, essentially working primarily with the National Olympic Committees and the IOC and their, uh, and their solidarity funding. And working to get sailing up in areas where ordinarily it wouldn't or they don't have the resources to do so. So uh, for us, it's uh, I mean, it's a key point for all sports. But uh, for us, it's top of our agenda that we call it universality and we're measured by the amount of people who try and qualify to get into the Olympic Games primarily. For diversity for us is, is key, whether that be... You know, we're a male-dominated sport and we've been pushing hard over the last uh, four or five years to get more females into the sport, uh, which is working. We've got a, uh, a global campaign called Steering the Course, which is, is, is doing that. And as you know, we came out of the Paralympics, which was desperately sad for our sport for the, and, for the, and for the parasailers. However, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. What we've done now is we've really brought parasailing into the inner circle. So in our world championships in The Hague recently, the, uh, we had three para disciplines there. And we've just put the bids out for our new combined world championships. And, uh, and para is very much part of it. For us, inclusivity is uh, is important, and you know our sport's got enough barriers that we just need to make sure that we're opening the doors wide, especially to nations that you know want to get involved in our sport. I guess also within nations, there's still this uh, idea that sailing might be elitist, or you need a lot of money to get started. But that's that's changing as well, isn't it? I mean, the, the, some of the boats, are, materials costs are coming down, one design boating. There's a lot of ways in which people can get involved in sailing without necessarily spending a lot of money. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you don't have to buy a boat. You, and there are, uh, you know, there is, in most places, there are community programs which you can get involved in. You know, inevitably... You know, our sport is expensive at the at the high end high end of the sport. Um, so the Olympic Games and the um, America's Cup or the Vendée or I've just come from the uh, Arkea Ultim Challenge press conference. And uh, so it, we do have this brand of being an elite sport, but you know some of the uh, the dinghy brands that are making boats which are a few thousand dollars uh, and get people out in the water in clubs that are uh, have got these inclusive programs and i think you know our clubs need are changing and need to change that you know you shouldn't be you know, have a sponsor and a seconder you know the doors need to be wide open for uh, for the youth and and they are predominantly but we've still got a lot of work to do there's a lot of 
other sports that are coming out of the woodwork. The sports now, which are really very popular, which we you know we hadn't heard of uh, uh, not so long ago. I'm talking outside of sailing. So um, you know we need to do our bit to make sure that we can we are attracting people into the sports. One of those secrets that I've known for a while that some people don't that is. If you want to go sailing and you turn up to a sailing club, nine times out of ten, you'll get a ride. Well, exactly. And that's how I started. You know, I was crewing on a, crewing on a fireball. And uh, yes, it was on a pond in the northern England in February. The conditions weren't, certainly weren't like they are now. But yeah, you put yourself forward. There's, uh, there's always going to be, you'll always get a ride. And as a, as a World Federation, you've got a lot on your plate in terms of policy and what you're trying to do. Um, wh- where is sustainability at? And what do we have to do to, um, to get that moving? Yeah, we've got, we've got loads on our plate. I think, you know, our job in world sailing is to serve the sport, serve our members. We've got 146 members across the globe and it's our job to help them do their job. Our job is to our special events like the America's Cup and Sail GP, the Ocean Race, the World Match Racing Tour, etc., etc. Our job is to help them and serve them our job is not about the doing it's been uh, it's been an, an enabler and i guess we are leading in the sustainability space we've got um agenda 2030 uh, we've got a very capable team it's only it's a team when i say team it's a team of two uh, led by alexandra rickham and alexandra's modus operandi is sustainability shouldn't be a department it needs to be in every department and at the forefront of uh, of what they're doing so uh, we've just written a new olympic vision which will be out to our members shortly we just had it approved at our our annual conference in malaga a couple of weeks ago and that olympic vision one of the pillars is sustainability and we need to change the way we're working you know we um and in there We've got some very, very ambitious targets. They lock into uh, our Agenda 2030 and we'll start rolling them out. I mean, we won't hit all of them, but you know, we're, making, we're making a big effort, whether that be uh, materials, for what the, the equipment's made out of, whether that be more supplied boats and less shipping of boats around the world, uh, or whether that be just basics in, um, in, for, in event management. We've just had our uh, ISO 2012-1 audit, which we passed passed again, and uh, we just won a prize from the IOC, actually, um, which was the Airbnb prize for innovative uh, innovative ways at event from sustainability. And we didn't do much, and it wasn't too inconvenient. You know, we had our world championships in The Hague, and if you're travelling from the UK, we all got the train. And not many people know, but the train is 10% of the carbon footprint of an aeroplane. So we all got the, and we got delivered a bicycle, uh, no cabs when we got there. So we kind of, and I was cycling with some of the board members, which was, uh, which was a nice thing to do. So yeah, we're, we're, that's forefront of our agenda. Bit harder to cycle from Jeddah Airport to here. You might get a little bit hot. <laughs> I know you're a cycling fan as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I wasn't delivered a bike here, thankfully. All right, David. Thanks very much for that. Cheers. Thank you, David. And now to the America's Cup preliminary event in Jeddah. In the interests of disclosure, we were not paid to attend this event. Not one flight. Not one hotel room night. Not one kickback. We have no sponsorship from any of the organizations mentioned. However, 
Unlike many of the armchair pundits, we probably have a better understanding of what the reality of life in Saudi Arabia is really like. We've spent months on the ground around the country talking to business leaders, ordinary people and some extraordinary people. Which brings us to the artificial controversy and hypocrisy from sections of the sailing community and media in the build-up to the event. I want you to imagine a regime. Since coming to power, these leaders have thumbed their noses at the international community in relation to human rights. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Of course, it's the current UK Conservative government. Now imagine booking a trip to London to watch the Premier League or Wimbledon and being asked, why are you supporting a government that is committed to pulling out of the European Convention on Human Rights so they can send their refugees to Rwanda? Do any of us really want to be judged by some of the words and actions of our leaders? Should the next Ashes cricket test in Australia be boycotted on sustainability grounds because a previous Prime Minister held up a lump of coal in the Parliament and proclaimed it as the future? Or maybe we should not attend the F1 in Texas on the basis of oppression of women by banning their access to abortion. I'm tempted to say, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And speaking of throwing stones, doesn't the USA still have the death penalty? Of course, there's a lot to be done to change hearts and minds when it comes to the rebuilding of brand Saudi in the eyes of the international community. One way to do this is to invite people to visit, to experience for themselves, to be made to feel welcome in a genuine way. But that's easier said than done. There are thousands of tourist destinations to choose from all around the world. So how to give people a reason to visit? Sport is a tried and tested way of literally putting cities on the map. In fact, sport might be the ultimate destination marketing tool. Quick, think of a city in Saudi Arabia. Now think of an Australian city. Competition for visitors and inward investment isn't just between countries, it's also between regions and cities within countries. Back in the early 90s, the Australian Grand Prix was held in Adelaide. The MotoGP was raced at Eastern Creek in New South Wales, but Melbourne had a strategy to change all that. Bringing the F1 Grand Prix to Melbourne was controversial, perhaps more controversial than running an America's Cup preliminary event in Jeddah. Firstly, there was the cost. The right to host a Grand Prix is expensive, money that could be spent on better things. The races on a street circuit on public roads, causing disruption to traffic and users of Albert Park for weeks before the race. Then there is the noise from the cars and helicopters and general disruption to thousands of local residents. The first race was in 1996, and nearly 30 years later, some complain about the nuisance still. But, for a few hours a year, the Melbourne brand is broadcast live around the world to a desirable demographic who follow Formula One. And with the popularity of new formats, like the Netflix documentary Drive to Survive, the coverage reaches a wide audience. Some of that audience might say, well, why don't we go to Melbourne for the Grand Prix next year? Some might say, why don't we hold our APAC regional conference in Melbourne? Or why don't we relocate our APAC HQ to Melbourne? But Jeddah in Saudi Arabia has something that Melbourne doesn't. And it's a thing that makes the strategy to host an F1 Grand Prix and the America's Cup quite clever. Let's start with a geography lesson. Saudi Arabia is the 13th biggest country in the world by landmass, smaller than Greenland, larger than Mexico. The total coastline of Saudi Arabia is 2,640 kilometres or 1,640 miles. That's roughly double the coastline of California. 
The Red Sea coastline of Saudi Arabia is 1,760 kilometres or 1,100 miles, which is very, very roughly double the length of the Sydney Hobart race of the Fastnet race. Here's a fun fact. According to the Interwebnet, there is only three nautical miles difference between the length of the Sydney Hobart race and the Fastnet race. The things you learn when you're researching a podcast. Like many countries in the Middle East, there is a rich maritime history in a city like Jeddah. With the right conditions, a desire to compete with the rest of the world as a venue for high-profile sporting events and the backing of key leaders, Jeddah is well-placed to position itself as a world-class sporting destination for a very specific kind of sports fan. If you listen to our report from the 2023 Dubai Boat Show, you will know that the goal of many of the ports in the Middle East is to tempt superyachts to spend the Northern Hemisphere winter in the Red Sea rather than the Caribbean. Jeddah is closer to Mykonos than St Bart's, but proximity is not enough. Many superyacht owners are sports fans. They will move their yachts to be close to the action, whether it be a football World Cup, Rugby World Cup, the Olympics or Monaco Grand Prix, or the America's Cup. This elite target market could explain why the preliminary regatta was sponsored by NEOM. In addition to the mind-boggling Line City project, NEOM's developments include Sindala, a purpose-built superyacht island and yachting hub. This isn't just buying a Premier League team. This is a long-term strategy which includes building infrastructure, facilities, creating jobs and attracting inbound investment. And so to the event itself, the America's Cup preliminary regatta in Jeddah presented by Neom. Where does the experience begin? Well, that depends on who you are. I'm going to digress a little bit more here before I get into some thoughts about the event because it's important to understand that experience is a relative concept. A 10-year-old Saudi girl who lives in Jeddah is going to have a different experience to a VIP or a guest watching from a super yacht or a jaded sailing pundit, albeit with a good understanding of the region. To be fair, many events get this wrong. Either there is no differentiation between the buyer personas and stakeholders or only one group is focused on, for example, VIP guests. So fan journey one, getting to Jeddah. As a foreign fan considering visiting Saudi Arabia, probably for the first time, the journey was very much a sorted-out-for-yourself kind of affair. Perhaps it's not the job of the organisers to make it easier for people to attend, but simply linking out to the Visit Saudi website is not really sufficient. I would imagine that most fans of New Zealand, USA, UK, Italy, France and Switzerland don't know that the passport holders of those countries can get a tourist visa for Saudi Arabia on arrival and that there are low-cost airlines that service Jeddah and there are both five-star and three-star hotel options throughout the city. Most of the comms leading up to the event was not see you there, but more this is how you watch it on YouTube in your time zone. It would be very hard to work out what the foreign visitor impact of the event was. There were several other large events happening on the same weekend, including the ATP Next Generation Tennis Finals. I would imagine that when you fly into Barcelona in 2024, there will be signage and promotion for the America's Cup at the airport. There may be already, but flying in from Riyadh, there was nothing to advertise the events happening. Even the Red Sea Film Festival had decals on the floor of the airport welcoming visitors. 
I did spot a small AC branded booth in arrivals. Presumably it was used a few days earlier to welcome teams and their entourage. Again, for context, I'm arriving, I was arriving on Friday morning, one day into the three-day event. And a note on scheduling. This is a tough one for events coming to the Middle East. The working week in Saudi is Sunday to Thursday. Foreign fans would need to take days off in order to attend the Thursday and Friday racing. International sporting audiences are used to final day or rate of the race being on a Sunday. So again, which stakeholders are you designing for? Locals, the Supiot crowd, diehard fans who are willing to take holidays and try something new, or a live TV audience? Anyway, my experience is that I arrived into the domestic terminal and there was no presence or awareness building. Not like the Red Sea Film Festival or the ATP Next Generation Final or the FIFA Club World Cup, all of which were taking place in Jeddah. Fan Journey 2, getting to the venue. In years gone by, for other events, there would be a Volvo waiting for me to take me to the venue. That was BU before Uber. Both Uber and the local equivalent, Kareem, have designated pickup points at the airport. Tick. But there is no public Wi-Fi at the airport. Now, if you're optimising for the local, or the super yacht crowd, then global data roaming is probably assumed. Luckily, and this is one of the wonders of Saudi hospitality, if you ask a nearby stranger to turn on their phone and turn it into, their ho- into a hotspot long enough to order an Uber, they will do it gladly. Incidentally, if I was Uber or Kareem, I would install Wi-Fi hotspots next to the pickup points for those who don't have international data roaming plans. So think of the edge cases, people. The only venue that I had seen advertised relating to the event was the Jeddah Yacht Club and Marina. So that's where I entered as the destination for the driver. Here's another free tip for event organizers in the Middle East. Do a deal with Kareem. Have a promo code for rides to and from the venue and get Kareem to educate their drivers where to go because drivers relying on Google Maps is not enough. About 1,600 metres from the venue, flags promoting the event began to line the main road into the precinct. Signage began to appear about 600 metres out, along with traffic control and security. Maybe the organisers were expecting about 5,000 cars. Certainly there was parking for about 5,000 cars. But let's just say that negotiation with security from 600 metres out from the Jeddah Yacht Club, which is where I thought I was meant to be going, was not frictionless. In fact, I had to go to the Jeddah Yacht Club Academy to pick up my credentials. But the entrance to the fan zone was another kilometre away, which is a fair way in hot sun. If you somehow managed to get to the official entrance of the fan zone, you would have been greeted with a world-class setup. Some of the sailing events in the Middle East take place on building sites or makeshift marquees, hastily set up by the water's edge. The Jeddah Corniche is a perfect spot to have a day out, eat, shop, watch sailing and more. It's not just coincidence that the Sailing Saudi Federation offices are located in the same park. This is the difference between working with a local community to deliver an event and jetting in and out with no real understanding of how the city or community works. The fan zone included an immersive experience and an impressive stage where the final prize giving was held in front of a sizable crowd. Though touted as stadium racing, this was really not the case. The prevailing wind for the last two days meant that the start line ran parallel to the shore about two or three hundred metres off the beach and boats sailed away from the crowd. There was, however, numerous big screens which could be watched in the shade. 
The only downside of the fan zone was that I couldn't find any merchandise. It would have been nice to have a memento of being at the first sailing event of its kind on the Red Sea. Probably the best fan experience of any sailing event I've ever attended in the Middle East and better than many established Western events. So the next journey, the VIP experience, and let's face it, that's the one that matters, right? Again, thanks to the investment and infrastructure at the Jeddah Yacht Club and Marina, VIPs got to experience the racing in luxury at a venue called the Pyramid. Rather than suffering the heat in a non-air-conditioned tent, the AC Club featured a balcony view of the racetrack, hosted pre-race talks in English and Arabic, visits from sailors and the America's Cup itself, a big screen and some great catering. This was almost the ultimate seat in the house because, as we said, the prevailing wind meant that even from the balcony, the yacht looked rather small at the top mark, and as the sun got lower in the sky in the afternoon and the mist rolled in, the boats became mere silhouettes on a gold-grey sea. The best seat in the house, apart from watching it on the big screen, was probably the 51-metre superyacht Pearl. I've seen some commentary about a lack of uh, spectator fleet. That wasn't necessarily because people didn't want to show up and watch the racing on boats. It's because there's literally no boats in Jeddah. You have to realise that the Jeddah Marina is only three years old. And like places like Amman, as discussed by David Graham earlier in the podcast... Building the infrastructure and building a marine ecosystem from scratch, including importing boats into Saudi Arabia, is something that's going to take time. So even if people wanted to watch on boats, they couldn't because the boats just aren't there. And so do the show. Events like this are a success or failure through conditions that are almost totally out of control of the organiser. No matter how good the sailing rights holders get at designing boats that create a great spectacle in as wide a wind range as possible, the fact is that if boats were drifting around in displacement mode, no amount of event management or organisation is going to make it memorable. In other words, if the wind doesn't blow, there is no show. Fortunately, fans in Jeddah and those watching around the world were treated to some thrilling racing on the limits of the boat's design. One local journalist asked me in awe, they have no engines? Those watching the AC40s foiling past at speed didn't need to be patronised by converting knots to kilometres per hour. For some, this might have been, probably was, the first competitive sailing they'd ever seen, and it was nice to see that the coverage sought to educate rather than pander to the lowest common denominator. There are hours and hours of content dedicated to the racing and the on-water action. That's not what we're here to do. But from what I heard from seasoned sailing commentators, they were pretty impressed with the action on the water. Here are some sound bites from the prize-giving ceremony in front of a big crowd. As with many sailing events, the number of people is not important. What matters is who they are. First up to speak was the chairman of the Saudi Sailing Federation, Hassan Kabani. Would please like to welcome to the stage Hassan Al Kabani, Chairman of the Saudi Sailing Federation. <laughs> to our racers, to our teams, I want to really thank Grand Dalton for believing in Jeddah and showing everybody else what a great place to be. I want to thank every team member, every support, every 
fan that came to show themselves here today. We started this program with a dual idea. Number one, to introduce sailing to the Saudi community. And number two, to show what Saudi Arabia and the Red Sea can offer any recreational or racer. Thank you all for coming. These three days have established beyond any doubt how amazing the conditions here in the Red Sea are. But not just that, the warmth that you have shown, the friendly atmosphere that has prevailed, the conditions and the village and the bases and the hospitality and the media centre are world class. You have made this event successful. TV images shown across the world are about to change this game. Uh, it's, it's, it's perfect here. I mean, the conditions are perfect. The facilities are absolutely world class. The coaches are good. And there's no reason that, say, by the Asian Games, you're not, the country's not being very successful. And Samir, congratulations, firstly, on a fantastic week. Great success for the Jetta Yacht Club. I've seen you smiling, but most of all, I've seen the kids out there with massive smiles on their face all week. How has it been for the young girls and boys? Thank you, and thank you for coming. We really enjoyed having you guys here. The feedback has been so amazing. The kids loved it. Um, and we really hope to see more uh, Saudi boys and girls on the water soon. The America's Cup preliminary event in Jeddah delivered way above my expectations. This was a world-class event that showed off the city's investment in marine-related infrastructure and the hospitality of the local people. Small annoyances can be forgiven since this is the first time that the event has been staged. The production values and the delivery was better than many events that have been running annually for decades. Jeddah could host the America's Cup, but there are challenges that probably make Barcelona a better choice, at least for 2024. The biggest challenge is the weather. Even in early December, it was hot and humid, and it's bearable for a few days, but it would be extremely difficult to run a longer event like the larger America's Cup. Hopefully, the event changed some people's minds. Not the armchair whingers who pine for 12 meter yachts plodding miles off the coast of Newport, or those ignorant to the reality of life in Saudi Arabia and not willing to see it for themselves. Hopefully it, was, it changed the minds of people who were surprised by the warmth of the reception and the quality of the event, and I think those who came expecting something got something completely different. That's it for this episode of the Yacht Business Podcast. 2024 will be a big year for sailing with the America's Cup proper scheduled for the back end of the year. But before that, we need to finish off 2023 with events like the Sydney Hobart race. Don't miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe via your favourite podcast app, sign up to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn where you can comment and join the discussion. I'm David Fuller. Thanks for listening.